Hello, adventurers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of the World of Azuria podcast. My name is Beth Ball, and I'm the author of the Age of Azuria epic fantasy series, which we'll be exploring in this show. In some episodes, we'll be swept away into the magical world of Azuria as I read chapters from the novels and stories. In others, we'll dive into the lore behind Azuria, and I'll answer your questions about the world, characters, and more. If you enjoy epic fantasy worlds, immersive settings, nature-based magic, and vivid characters, then this podcast is for you. In our second season, we're traveling through Buried Heroes, book one in the Age of Azuria series. I hope that you enjoyed last week's episode with our special guest reader, my husband Jonathan, who voiced Teodrek. I know it's common practice in audiobooks for the gender of the point of view character to match that of the narrator, so I thought that might be fun to try for Teodrek. In today's episode, we journey through chapter 10, where we pick back up with Yvain and Ielieth. We last saw Yvain as she saved Genevieve from the ruins of her druid conclave in Tor Stravon, and we last saw Ielieth as she and Marcone prepared to meet the druids of Mara's conclave. Tor Stravon is on the opposite side of the world from Kaldara, the continent where we find Ielieth, and the two lane masses are separated by the infinite ocean. As we get further into the series, you'll learn more about the ocean and its naming and how it's related to the name of Azuria, but between now and then, if you'd like to check out a map of Azuria and its various regions, visit bethbawbooks.com welcome to see all the locations explored in Buried Heroes. And to discover what happens next before new episodes are released every Tuesday, you can find Buried Heroes for free at bethbawbooks.com shop or at your favorite book retailer. Let's start our adventure. Yvain scowled at the younger druid, reminding herself that Mara wasn't to blame for her conclave's short-sightedness. It is imperative the council accepts her as one of their own. I know they're frightened, but it is the only way to keep her safe. Yvain, I recognize that the need is great, but I fear you ask too much. I faced enough resistance with your arrival at first, until they understood who you are. It is only within the last few decades that they acclimated to the presence of the Saudade in our midst. Lucian will be searching for her in the coming weeks, perhaps even days. It is not a matter of if, but when. Marcone may be able to help her to some extent, but with the weakened connection between the planes, he cannot protect her for long. But why will you not speak to the Council yourself? They would listen to you. The danger to you all increases the longer I remain here. Were I to try to explain what happened, their concerns would only grow. You do not need me for this. She moved away from Mara, but the elven woman seized her hand. But what if we do? What if we can't prepare her in time? Then we're doomed before we've begun. Yvain yanked her hand free of Mara's grasp and strode down the narrow woodland path. That cannot be your answer, Mara shouted at her back. She stopped. Fear and frustration pulsed at the center of her being. She turned, and her eyes met Mara's, a battlefield of conflicting concerns. The question came down to whether or not their conclave would be willing to risk its illusion of safety and anonymity to enable a new chance for the wider world. And the only way for that to happen was for Mara to take the weight onto her own shoulders. At least meet her, Mara pleaded. She deserves that much from you. Yvain sighed. Do you think that I don't want to? After all this time? But any contact with me poses great risk to you both. She cannot depend on me for protection. No one else could. Not again. 
I'm not asking you for that. It can be as brief as you like. A few moments this afternoon, nothing more. Perhaps Mara was right. They shouldn't operate solely from a place of fear. Her final sight of Fiona, trapped in the jaws of shadow beasts and dragged toward her death, swam over the image of the druid in front of her. Yvain pushed the vision from her mind. Mara sensed her weakening resolve and continued. One day, perhaps sooner than we would like, she will need to find you on her own. I sense it. Let her know whom she should be looking for. Yvain sighed. Very well, I will stay, but only for a short while. Bring her to me when she's ready. She smiled to ensure her friend knew she wasn't upset. You've been spending too much time with the Saudad, you know. Mara laughed. That may be. Perhaps a glimmer of the sight, or a breath of what it might be like to have it, has worn off on me. But they don't bring us ill tidings of the wider world for nothing. What you said to us before came true. Azuria is changing, says Leont. Aunt they sigh, such is the way of the seasons of the world. Eliot stepped out of Mara's hut into a clearing at the edge of the Vagarville wood, relishing the crisp air after several days penned beneath firs. Mara's home sat alongside several other small structures that faced the center of the village, each embraced by the surrounding forest. Through the dense vegetation, side paths led off into the woods, possibly to other parts of the Druid Conclave. Mara was coming up a path. Her expression brightened when she saw Ieliath and Marcone, and she hurried over. It may take some explaining as to how only one outsider arrived and two are now here, but I will do what I can. But please, she indicated a winding dirt trail behind her hut. We have much to discuss. Across the glade, a young woman with curly black hair peered at Ieliath. Their eyes met before she went to follow Mara, and the girl's white teeth flashed brightly against her gold-toned skin. Eliath returned the smile. It was a nicer greeting than she would have received from anyone in Io Keep, save her closest friends. The girl slipped away into the forest and out of sight. Mara, is what you are saying true? Marcon is from 5,000 years ago? Eliath meant to wait for the elf to begin speaking first, but the tree's thick covering unfettered the questions darting across her mind. It is true. With Mara leading, Eliath couldn't see her face to capture any undercurrents amid her serious tone. But how is that possible? How has he survived for so long? What happened to... She stopped herself from the second half of the question and turned to Marcone. To everyone I knew, he said for her. Mara bowed her head. If it will set your mind at ease, lady, most of them died before I arrived in that cave the last several on the treacherous mountain paths leading to it. We were desperate. It was meant to be an ambush that would turn the tides. It was, in its own way. We were operating on false information. But how are you, um, does it bother you to be so far in the future? I have had a few days to wonder about our location. It makes logical sense that we are removed from my own time. It was far too peaceful here. Peaceful. I come from a time of war, lady. Spread far and wide. It touched everyone. Places like this community, he gestured back down the path, save for those extremely removed from the central powers, were nearly non-existent. They couldn't have survived. It seems that you already know, so I will not delay telling you, Mara began, that we lost the War of the Champions. Most of your allies died in the final days of battle, as you thought. 
They separated the champions from one another, though a narrow few survived. Are there others, like me, who have awoken? Mara's brow contracted, and she lowered her eyes. I am not sure. Strain pulled at Marcone's stoic expression. His lips tightened. Just at the moment of reawakening, coming back to life, he lost everyone he had ever known. Elioth turned to Mara. You said there were things we needed to discuss before we met the council? A new subject would give Marcone a small respite to think over the weighty news. Yes, Elioth, thank you. There is someone who wants to meet you, someone advanced in the druidic ways, an order. She has a few questions for you. Mara led them through the woods for several more minutes in silence. The trees around them were ancient and almost pulsated with the wisdom and gravitas of their years. Even the largest, oldest trees in the Iokeep Arboretum were saplings compared to these giants. There was a special bond between them from all the time they'd spent growing together. But that couldn't be. She was getting lost in old stories because of her proximity to Mara and the other druids. The woods recalled memories of the fairy tales she and Mama had read together at Aurora. The trees thinned out, and they arrived in a second clearing. Unlike the previous one, this larger meadow did not hold any homes. For the first time in days, the warmth of the sun glowed across Elioth's face and hair. She sighed and looked to the celestial sphere to return the sun's smile. Mara walked to the center and raised her arms out to her sides until they were level with her shoulders. She took a deep breath and let out a beautiful bird song. She folded her hands together at her chest when she'd finished and glanced at the other trail entrances, waiting for someone. When no one appeared, Elioth carefully interrupted her reverie. Mara, you said this person is advanced in the druidic ways, but I don't know any of your traditions. Why would they want to meet with me? Some see larger pictures of the world than many of the rest of us, and she is one such person. You should not expect a great many answers, but it is important for you to speak with her, however briefly. The surrounding woods were silent. Without warning, a striking figure with dark blue braids emerged from the trees a short way behind them. Her skin was sepia-hued and covered in intricate dark gray tattoos, her eyes a shockingly pure lavender. Elioth sprang back in surprise, and Marcone's hand darted to the hilt of his sword. The light in the clearing dimmed as clouds rolled across the patch of sky overhead. Yvain, you have come. Mara extended her hands to the other druid as she walked toward her. Elioth, Marcone, do not be afraid. Yvain was among those who rescued you. The woman's pale purple eyes fixed on Elioth so fiercely she couldn't have moved if she'd wanted to. Yvain was slight, but tall and stately, made more so by the antler crown she wore above her many braids. She circled the three of them, her movements powerful and lithe. Elioth gasped as she moved her gaze to Marcone and then to Mara. Yvain's ears were nearly three times the size of her own. "'You're a fae,' she whispered. The woman smiled and returned her attention to Elioth. Her mouth curved still further when Marcone stepped halfway in front of her. Worry not, champion of fire. Her voice had a rich timbre, and the Kaldoran words flowed from her tongue in a thick elvish accent. She tossed a braid over her shoulder. I have no intention of harming either of you. And yes, young Amastasia, I am a fae, though perhaps not in the way you have been led to understand in your stories. I am Yvain. She bowed her head a few inches, and Elioth returned the gesture. Yvain's eyes flared as they studied Elioth's, 
the purple turning almost to white in a flash from within, and Elioth tensed her back and shoulders to suppress the chill that threatened to run down her spine. A few times in the castle, she'd seen the priests and mages perform something similar when they were trying to understand an enchantment. The indigo-haired druid's gaze shifted to her amulet. Elioth narrowed her eyes. Why was she studying it? What was she looking for? Yvain met Elioth's gaze again and released her arcane study. Forgive me, Yvain said. The lilac returned to her irises. I am still trying to understand how you found your way to the peak. It had been her amulet that reacted during the transmigration. But how had she known to look there? Thank you, Yvain, for finding me, Elioth said. I was not alone. The purple eyes glinted. The Saudad were instrumental in your rescue. I could not have done it without them. There is one in particular who is anxious to make your acquaintance. I am glad we have met, Elioth Amastasia. She turned her attention back to Mara. Might we speak briefly? I cannot linger here. Yes, of course. Elioth, Marcone, please excuse me. The two women walked to the far side of the clearing, their heads bent together. Can you understand what they're saying? Elioth whispered. I hear something every now and then, but it is not a language I speak. I thought at first it might be elvish, but it's something else. Perhaps the language of the forest or its tenders, lady. I do not have a gift for tongues, but it sounds like what I remember of Quarren. What do you make of Mara's companion? I am not entirely sure. She makes me feel uneasy, but also understood. It's strange. I'm not sure how both of those things occur together. She has a sharp gaze, and she seemed very interested in you. But you don't know why? She was studying my amulet, trying to understand it. I wonder how they found us. Mara bowed her head to Yvain, and the sepia-hued woman disappeared into the covering of the forest. The clouds lifted as she left, and the kiss of sunlight returned. Mara pursed her lips on her way back to them, and her posture was heavier than it had been a short time before. Elia drummed her toes inside her boots and stretched her limbs. The soreness from the avalanche and day of unconsciousness crept back into her muscles. My apologies, Elioth, Marcone. I had hoped to show you around our community this afternoon, but it's later than I'd realized, and I must attend the council meeting. We can come with you if you'd like, Elioth said. You wanted us to speak with them. I hope to have you at my side for a meeting soon enough, but I am not sure that this is the ideal occasion. There are things I must discuss with them before they will be ready for you. So, so some of the meeting today is about us? That it is, Shira. Mara, I know that you both have many questions. I will do what I can to answer them, but forgive me, I must go. Mara glanced over her shoulder and started off toward the opposite side of the clearing. Can you find your way back from here? I think so. With certainty, Marcon answered. Yelith grinned at his confidence. Surely someone could help them if they truly became lost. And after we can talk? Yelith called out to her. Mara paused. Yes, of course. If my presence weren't imperative, I would stay with you now. Yelith nodded. And Marcone, she instructed. See that she rests, please. Clouds drifted across the leaf frame window overhead as Mara vanished into the forested foothills. What did Yvain mean when she called you a champion of fire? That I am bonded to one of the elemental titans, Ignis. The elemental titans? Who are they? 
Marcone studied her, his confused expression cast in shadow by the dappled sunlight. Can you tell me what you mean? You do not know them. An edge crept into his voice, either anger or alarm. She proceeded carefully. I have heard of titans in stories. They are similar to giants, only bigger. My gods. Marcone shook his head and looked away from her. He lowered himself to sit on the ground and ran his fingers through the grass. The runes beneath his skin grew more pronounced, rising up as if through water to press themselves against his olive hands and neck. I'm sorry, I don't mean to upset you. She sat beside him and waited. It is no fault of yours, lady. I... I had sensed as much. He lowered his head, his thoughts still far away from their immediate surroundings. I had forgotten what it's like to be on my own. What do you mean? Ignis, my titan, granted me special power in exchange for serving him. I, well... He exhaled sharply. Lady, I cannot feel his presence. That part of me is missing. He could come back, couldn't he? And you're not entirely alone. I don't know if he will return or not. He forced his face into a more neutral expression, but his eyes remained hollow. They watched an invisible, advancing desperation beyond her perception. But you are right. We are neither of us alone. He took a deep breath and turned to her. Shall we return to Mara's? I can tell you more as we walk, though the full story will take more time than that. Yes, certainly. I can't imagine how strange it must be here for you. This place with the druids is foreign to me, but only in comparison to life in the castle. If it helps, though, I'll do what I can to acquaint you with the world as it is now. I have little experience beyond Kaldara, but it's a start. Thank you. I do need to get my bearings here before I can determine where to go next. Marcone pushed himself up and offered his hand to pull her up to stand beside him. From what I've seen, you've handled this new environment with ease. The clearing was still empty besides the two of them, but Elioth whispered to prevent any unseen presence from overhearing. What if we were to walk by the council meeting, just to see what they are like? She smirked as the idea took shape. If it's in another clearing like this one in Mara's, no one would know we were there, and then we'll have a better idea of what's going on before we speak to the council ourselves. Elioth and Marcone followed Mara's trail. The woods were so dense and full of chirping wildlife that it was difficult to hear the various offshoots of the settlement once inside the trees, but it was unlikely that the council meeting was very far away. Mara hadn't been walking quickly when she left them. The clearing they'd left behind seemed an ideal location for a gathering, with its pleasant sunlight, but it remained unclear how many druids there were who lived in the Vagar Vale. Perhaps a larger space was required. "'You were going to tell me about Ignis?' Elioth asked, careful to keep her voice low. "'Yes, my apologies, lady,' Marcone sighed. "'You asked me if there were other titans. There are six in total, one for each of the elements.' He smiled." In my time, those the Titans appointed to serve them, to enact their will and protect the balance between all forms of life, were called champions. A few years into my life as a soldier, shortly after I'd become a captain, I called upon the Titan of Fire to come to my aid. He answered. Ignis imbued me with the power and with control over flames, and I worked to follow his directives. In that time as well, an age-long war was coming to a close. We were not faring well. But who are you fighting against? Ah, 
He paused. I forgot that all of our deeds were lost. Marcon studied the trees and brushed his fingers back through his short hair. We do not yet know if that's entirely true, Elias reminded him. I come from a small, closed-off kingdom. There are many others who know a great deal more than I do. Mara seems to know who you are, and Yvain, too. Marco nodded. This world, the quiet overhead, the small populations, the calm. My life from before feels like a false memory. That events could have led us here. I don't yet know what to make of it. He glanced down at her. Are you religious, lady? Not particularly. Was this a strange test of how civilized they were? But you know someone who is. Many people in Lundalyn are religious. It's less common in the court. I hope you will tell me more about your life spent in a castle soon. I ask because in many ways, my relationship with Ignis was similar to those bound to a deity or other higher being. His power flowed through me. This sounded dangerous but exciting. How much freedom had Marcon possessed between his own desires and those of the Titan? Marcon smiled at her scrunched expression. It is here that my story shifts. His eyes flashed like he had a secret to reveal. I did not answer your question as to who we were fighting. Her name was Alessandra. At one time, she, too, was a champion. But she turned from that path and betrayed her allies to ascend to godhood herself. Marcon's face darkened. Through the ages, her desire for power grew. That hunger is what led to the war in my time. There was so much death and destruction, as the world had not witnessed for thousands of years. The bushes beside Elioth rustled, interrupting her response. She held up a hand to stop Marcon behind her to see which woodland creature was crossing their path. So many questions waved in the branches of her mind, each rustling for attention. Bent slightly, as she debated which to ask first, it was only Marcon's quick reflexes that kept her on her feet, as a much larger figure than she had anticipated burst forth from the undergrowth. The young woman yelped in surprise as she and Elioth collided, and then she froze, staring at Elioth's face, with her hand clasped on her elbow. "'Lady, are you all right?' "'You're the girl from the mountain!' the young woman exclaimed. Elioth released the breath she'd caught and gave Marcon a look of thanks. I saw you earlier today, didn't I, by Mara's house? She blushed. Yes, that's what's me this morning. The evergreen and pale copper in the girl's eyes were even more vibrant up close with breaths of sky blue amid the hazel, accentuated by the beautiful gold of her skin. Do you mean Torg's Peak? Elioth asked. Were you on the mountain during my rescue? There's a significant amount of that time that I don't remember. I should think not. You were quite frozen when we found you, and we didn't find you at all, the dark-haired young woman said to Marcone. But I am glad that you are both here now. Yvain said it was important for us to find both of you, and here you both are, even though that was only one of you in the snow. The girl studied them with open curiosity. She leaned her head in closer and squinted her eyes at the palms as shifting beneath Marcone's skin. Did Yvain say why us being here was so important? I, well, I seem to have mistransmigrated. Do you know anything about that as well? How it happened? Wait. Elia took hold of the girl's forearm. Are you one of the Saudan? Yvain said that's who rescued us. She lightly touched the gem-colored sleeves. An ornate pattern made of gilded stitches accentuated the supple fabric. The young woman laughed brightly. Why, yes, of course I am. I didn't realize, 
Elioth shook her head. In the stories, I hope you'll forgive me. We've never been sure that you and your people are real. You can always tell from our clothes. She grinned and looked down. The tip of a bronze ear, remarkably half-elven in size, holding a few golden rings along its length, emerged from her dark mahogany hair. Her gemstone-colored clothing stood in sharp contrast to the earth-toned leathers and cloth tunics Elioth had seen thus far in Mara's conclave. I didn't want to make assumptions. Perhaps you simply wanted to look different from the other druids. They both giggled at this possibility. We hide inside other cultures most of the time, unless we want people to know who we truly are. That's probably why the stories are incomplete. The girl's eyes brightened again, and her color rose with a sense of mischief. I could not wait any longer to meet you, even though they said that I should. I'm Persephone. She smiled, her white teeth winking. I'm Elioth, Persephone. She couldn't help but return the warm smile. It's such a pleasure to meet you, and this is Marcone. He bowed his head to her. Yes, I'm very aware of who the two of you are. But come, we must hurry if we are to catch the council meeting. Oh, that's where we were already headed. Persephone grabbed Elioth's hand and darted forward into the trees. Marcone followed close behind her. You aren't supposed to see this, Persephone whispered as she ran. But it involves you too, so I think that you deserve to watch. Her eyes glimmered in the forest dim light, and she led them deep into the forest, far away from the carefully carved trails. Time slowed as they neared another clearing. Elioth could hear the raised voices from afar. Many of them spoke in a rolling, mystical tongue she couldn't make out, but those who were most agitated spoke in Kaldaran. That's my papa. Persephone pointed to a handsome man with a bronze complexion and shiny black hair. He had dark eyes and dressed in black leather armor. He stood with his feet shoulder-width apart, arms crossed behind his back, with a few other sarad, though none were as colorfully dressed as Persephone. "'What are they saying?' Elioth whispered. "'You do not speak Druidic?' Persephone's eyes widened once again. "'No, do you? I speak it to some extent,' she shrugged. "'I always learn new things when we visit here.' and my mother taught me several of the prettiest-sounding phrases. This older woman. Persephone pointed to a woman in pale gray leathers with a fox fur collar. She is saying that they have not the room for a new person to come in. They are afraid that the danger will follow. Persephone returned her attention to the council too quickly to notice Elliot's confusion and alarm. Mara stepped into the center of the circle. My friends, she said in Kaldaran, danger is upon us either way. Yvain has just informed the elders of an attack against our sister conclave across the ocean, and that the last moon druid has fallen into shadow. Would one of you like to volunteer to take her place? Several druids clutched their hands to their hearts or muttered over strands of beads. Mara stared at each in turn, daring anyone to speak. A few raised their eyes to hers, but most stood to the ground. Then we have little choice, do we not? A slight shift across the clearing parted the ring of people, and a young elvish man stepped forward. Elioth inhaled sharply. She had only seen a few elves in the entirety of her lifetime, yet here were two in the same druid conclave. There is always a choice, Mara Stoneleaf, and this is one our people cannot afford to take lightly. That time is behind us. The old prophecies represent false hopes. Our enemies have retreated. They mind their own lands and leave us to do the same with ours. It is time that we step forward into a new future and leave the old conflicts in the past. Persephone stiffened next to Elliot. He is misleading them, speaking of what they wish to be true and not what is. 
He spoke again before Eliath could answer her. We can let the neighboring city-states know of our existence. Bring them into the light of our ways. With our wisdom, our understanding, we have much to offer them and their growing societies, and little reason to hide any longer. Persephone lunged forward out of the underbrush. She shoved through the rings of druids and faced off with the elf. Have you no sense, Bedervik? Have you not listened to all that we have said? Persephone, her father began, but Mara raised her hand, asking him to wait. I have heard fear and doubt, to be sure, the elf replied. We have not yet confirmed Yvain's report. There is still every possibility that the werewolf attack was a vision that has not yet come to pass and may not ever transpire. We have long been out of touch with the druids across the sea. Their concerns are not ours. I have heard of the attacks your people have suffered on your travels, for which I am deeply grieved. But none of these are reasons for us to go back to the way things were. Not when we are so close to a new beginning. There is hope here, just beyond the woods. You know nothing of what we have lost, Persephone screamed. Though she was almost a head shorter, she stood directly against the elf, her face scowling up at his. Your enemies awaken, they move. The werewolves slaughter any who cross their path. Those they don't kill, they turn to swell their ranks. Those are exaggerated rumors. The mountain people's populations have been dwindling for some time. He glared back at her, but his hands trembled. He balled them into fists. My brothers barely escaped an onslaught deep in the mountains. It is a miracle they survived the attacks and made it back to warn us. Persephone's voice broke, and she wrapped her arms around her waist and looked down. At night, they are still plagued by the screams they left behind. She looked at the encircled druids and held out her hand toward her people. We have risked much to bring you the same warning, and we ask you to do something about it. Yet you would throw the true chance at a better future away because you are frightened. Persephone's father stepped out of the circle and walked decisively over to his daughter. He took her in his arms and rested her head against his chest. Elioth's heart tore with the open longing for her own father. How often had she imagined him holding her precisely in that way? He whispered something in Persephone's ear and then raised his head to address the gathering. My daughter speaks true. Your decision is your own, yes. But do not take lightly Yvain's tidings or our own. The world is shifting. You would do well to see it. He glanced in their direction and met Elias' eye. Nor should you casually toss away the one whose fate might join with yours. You all would do well to honor and to help her. He lowered his eyes to her, the most delicate of bows, and returned to look upon the ring of druids. Mara spoke into the tense silence. Perhaps it would be best if we adjourn our meeting until tomorrow. She nodded to Persephone's father, then to Berevik. Shall we take the evening hours to consider our best route forward? She stretched her lips into a smile that did not reach her eyes. Any who wish to speak further may meet at my hut, Berevik shouted. The anger from his initial speech returned. Her father's arms tightened around Persephone, and Mara's elegantly arched shoulders fell. Lady, I believe they are speaking of you joining their number, said Marcone. Persephone's father seemed to think they were talking about me, or had been, but I can't be a druid. You have to be born into the community, or chosen to join for your powers. Marcone glanced down at her feet and smiled. Elioth released the tree branch she had been gripping throughout the meeting and followed his gaze. 
Their feet were completely covered in vines that intertwined around their ankles. He raised an eyebrow in response and bent to extract his boots from the verdant bonds. Anyone here could have done that, she said. After most of the conclave had gone their separate ways, Persephone's father led Mara and Persephone toward Marcona and Elliot's hiding place. Perhaps a discussion among the five of us would be fruitful, Mara said, looking at them each intently. I am glad you have heard that, as it will make some things easier to explain. But come, let us step away from here. I would be honored if you would all share a meal with me. She led them back to her hut as twilight claimed the woods around them. Thank you so much for joining me for today's adventure through Buried Heroes and the World of Azuria. If you'd like to find out more about me or my fiction, you can find me at bethballbooks.com. You can also find my books worldwide at your favorite bookstore or ask your local librarian to add them to the library catalog. To stay up to date with the world of Azuria and be the first to know about upcoming fiction projects, visit bethballbooks.com join. I would love for you to be a part of my reading community, The Story Enclave, and as a special thanks to you for a limited time, you'll receive a free ebook copy of Aurora when you sign up. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at BethBallAuthor or on Twitter at GroveGuardian. Or you can email me, Beth at BethBallBooks.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Amber Queen, book three in the Age of Azuria series. Amber Queen picks up our hero's stories after the events of Havarian Heist, book two. I won't say more here to avoid spoilers, but it's such a fun and exciting novel. You can pre-order your copy of Amber Queen at BethBallBooks.com shop or at your favorite bookseller. If you enjoyed our time together today and would like to hear more stories set in Azuria, you can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash groveguardianpress. Look for the Fae and Damon tears. We return to Buried Heroes next Tuesday, July 20th for chapter 11, where we continue the conversation between Elioth, Mara, Persephone, Marcone, and Cassian. The theme song for this podcast was created by Garrett Rose of The Bardic Inspiration, who you can find on Instagram or Patreon at The Bardic Inspiration. Happy travels, and I hope that we'll be adventuring together again soon.